It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Today on the show, we have Jonathan Dio. Jonathan Dio is the best-selling author of Mindful Money. Mindful Money, simple practices for reaching your financial goals and increasing your happiness dividend. I just love that uh, wordplay there. Uh, he writes and speaks about the intersection between life and money. He has been investing for 40 years and been a financial and has been a financial advisor for 25. He started his firm in 2001 and he is a believer in financial literacy, education, and advocate for the fiduciary standard. And I'm excited to talk about this because we tend to have a love-hate money relationship. Uh, we love money, but at the same time, we have so many mixed messages about money and we carry this baggage with us. So I'm, I'm excited to have Jonathan on the show. Jonathan Dio, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bert. I'm actually really excited to talk to you. It's been you a while. What's that? So I'm glad. Yeah. Well, you know what? And I was saying money is such a weird thing uh, for most people because we need money. But we also have been told that, you know, money is the root of all evil, which is not true. And that rich people are somehow bad. And, you know, money is this. And, you know, so we have all these mixed messages. And therefore, I think. And you probably know this better than anybody. That, that's why so many of us are broke all the time. And I don't care whether you're making $100,000 a year or $100 million a year. There's a lot of people that no matter how much money they make, they're still broke. Yeah. And it's not, it's not just that they're broke. Their brokenness or their wealth and their relationship with money, they're, they're unhappy. It's not yeah. that you're broke. It's they're unhappy with whatever's going on. And you yeah. can have money and not have money and you can be happy. Yes. And, and I choose to have money and be happy. Right. I, you know, I've, it's very weird. I've, I've been going back and forth with my mom. And we, so I grew up with very little. My mom, one of my mom's senses in this, you know, back and forth was, yeah, Jonathan, we were poor. We were poor. Uh, I, there was a car that she used to drive me to school in where the back doors were closed with a rope tying the two back doors together. So you wow. couldn't open them. You had to climb through the window. So that, I mean, it was, and, and so my whole life, I wanted to have and I wanted to build something. And I wanted to make something happen. I wanted to, you know, wealth was something that was, you know, somebody else's thing. And I wanted it. And and it's like three years. I'm 49. And for the last three years, I feel like I've finally been able to breathe. Um, still work really, really, really hard. I still, uh, um, you know, I still, I still put in 10-hour days. I still work on Saturdays. Um, so I've always had this desire to build something. Um, and to and to you know support other people in their search for understanding of how money and life work together. Uh, it's just it's always been this thing in the back of my mind. You know, you, you said I invested for forty years. I purchased my first stock when I was nine, um, and I've, I've I've been looking at this stuff ever since. And it's really fun to me to think about markets and economies. And my clients say, "Hey, I'm glad it's fun for you because they hate it." So you know, it's it's a it's a great symbiotic thing. Well, you know what? And, and I think the reason that most people, quote, hate it, they don't understand it. They haven't devoted the time to understand it. You know, if, if I don't care what it is, if they would invest the same amount of time 
to understanding money and, and their thoughts and feelings around money yeah. as they do to, let's say, their fitness or their core enterprise, yeah. they would have a different change. And, and I think that's why most people have this love-hate relationship with money because they just don't understand. They don't understand money. They don't understand how it works. And they don't understand their relationship that they're having with money. So I would be a little more charitable. I mean, okay. I, I think that's true. I think it's true. They don't. But I think they don't because they've, they, they've actually pursued other things that are more interesting to them. It, the, you know, there's a lot of people out there that say, hey, you can't do this yourself. You got to hire an advisor. And that's just not something I believe. Like, I think that people can probably do this themselves. I think it's really important that if they do, the, do it themselves, that they spend the time. But people have a choice. Like, they can take longer vacations, they can, you know, work harder at their, at the thing that they want to do the most. They can volunteer their time in their communities, at their churches, at their schools, at their, you know, they, they can spend time in lots of different ways. And the one resource we can't renew is the time that we spend. Once you spend it, it's gone. So, you know, I, I actually think people take a choice. They, they say, you know what, for this thing, I know that it's going to take me a lot to to monitor and manage and think about and invest and, 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 you know, line up the pieces so that I can have all those milestones and I have a retirement income. And, and you know what, I, I just don't want to spend that kind of time. And so I'm going to hire somebody else to, to support me in this role. Um, and you can do this for anything. Like I can, I can probably, and I did this when I was younger, I could bondo my own car after an accident, but I don't anymore. Right now, I, if I have an accident, I pay someone to fix the car. Um, and I kind of look at us as a service industry. People pay us to help them in the process. Right. They could do it themselves. They could do the research. They don't want to, which fantastic. I, I get a great job and I do what I love and I get to help people. And that's, that's you know, it's great. We work together. Yeah. Well, into in, in that, uh, I know like my personal experience, um, I wanted to understand it a little bit better. Uh, and so I started doing my own research and you know, I subscribe to a couple of different newsletters uh, from Motley Fool. I subscribed to a couple of other things, and it, it it can be overwhelming. It's it's you know, I was putting in I want to say anywhere from ten to twenty hours a week trying to figure this stuff out. And um, so so yes, you can do it yourself. Yes, sometimes it's better to get. Uh, professional help. And I think it's better to get professional help no matter what, because you'll, you'll save time. You can still do the research. I think it's, it's good to, to understand how things work. Right. So you don't get taken because there's a lot of confusion out there. Uh, and, and there, and I think this is the other problem that a lot of us have. It, the amount of information or misinformation is overwhelming. Uh, there are a lot of uh, different designations there's the broker, there's a fiduciary, there's all these different things. And people think that they're kind of all the same and they're not. And, you know, there's a, uh, one of the things that kind of bothers me is, is and I, not to be disparaging to anybody in this field, but there's a lot of insurance agents that use financial advisor and basically they sell insurance yep. and annuities, which is another type of insurance, but they're allowed to call themselves financial advisors. And I'm thinking, Eh, not really. So there's there's three rules. Like this is the three rules. When you when you want to hire somebody, there's three things you need to do. Uh, and I'm just gonna. I always say this: the the advisor you're gonna hire, you're gonna search for someone that's fee only. So that means they do not receive commissions from um, 
anybody, any, you know, any product manufacturer, whether it's insurance or an investment product or anything. So the person that offers advice is paid for advice, not for a product. So that is, that's rule number one is, is fee only. Second rule is fiduciary. Fiduciary has to put your interests first. They, they, you know, if you are the lesser of, of the two options, you have to, you have to meet a suitability standard. What that means is, um, when I have, if I, if I have to meet, if I'm a broker and I only have to meet a suitability standard and I think the S and P 500 is a great investment for you, I can sell you an S and P 500 mutual fund that has a 2% internal cost and gives me a big commission instead of the S and P 500 index that, you know, costs 0.03% and I don't get any ongoing commission from because it's suitable, right? So the fiduciary standard says, okay, S&P 500 is appropriate for you. So we're going to use this low cost 0.03% index. I'm not going to get anything from the product manufacturer at all. So rule number one, fee only. Rule number two, fiduciary. Rule number three, and this is, this is kind of the personal one, right? This is the one you have to really dig into and get to know this person. You have to trust them. The advantage of an advisor is they're going to tell you when the thing you're about to do is a mistake. They're going to tell you not to do this, that maybe you should have this other action, take this other action. And so you have to be able to hear that and it's got to modify your behavior and nobody wants their behavior modified. So you have to trust them in such a way that when they say, hey, I think you ought to stay diversified. I don't think you ought to go to cash or I think you ought to stay diversified. I don't think you ought to go all in on Bitcoin or whatever the, whatever the fad of the day is. Um, when they say that, you believe them and you can maintain the discipline of believing them uh, and take the right action just because they said it, even though you don't agree or you don't feel good about it. Because um, feelings, you know, feelings actually lead us to do some things, buy things we don't need, um, you know, make investment decisions we don't want to make. So those are, right. those are three simple rules, right? You got fee only, fiduciary, and you got a trust is the only other thing that matters. Yeah. So, uh, I, and I like that fee only, fee only, fiduciary, and of course, trust, because ultimately trust is the most important thing. And, you know, I've had some people that I trusted and, and they, and you're right, they modified my behavior. So instead of maybe putting in the hundred percent that I was going to invest, maybe I said, okay, I trust you. So I'm going to do 50%. All right. I, I still want to risk, right? Right. No, right. 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 Yep. So that's me. That's my inherent. Uh, that's me because I'm a, I'm a risk taker. And, and, and I also believe that where I'm at in life for me personally, I'm going to have to take some risk to make up for some stuff that I've lost in the past. Well, there's, there's nothing wrong with taking risk. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a hundred percent equities. Like I, I believe in equities, but there's a right way to do that. There's a right way to take that risk. Right. Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent in one equity. Like, right. Very globally diversified. I'm diversified across capitalizations, across industries, across. So I'm I'm invested in everything. It's risky. It's volatile. It goes up and down a lot. Um, but there's there's a right way to be risky. And so if somebody right. comes and says, I want to be really risky, there is a way to build that portfolio uh, portfolio for them, right? Uh, so it's just it's not always oh be conservative. It's not always it's it's very plan appropriate. We talk we talk about goal focused and and plan um, driven portfolios, goal focused, plan driven. And so, you know, you build a portfolio that's specific to the client. The client has hopes and dreams and needs that need to be fulfilled. You build that stuff to support that 
that lifestyle choice, those goals that they have. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let me ask you this. Sure. Uh, right now, you know, we have speaking of volatility, we have a weird market. Um, and in my opinion, the market is being propped up, I don't know, by funny money or something. I, I think the market should be a lot cheaper than it is. Uh, but I want to get your take. Putting COVID into, let's say, a long-term context for a, for a family's finance, are you recommending any specific action for people to take right now? So, so we, I, I think it's very interesting because I was thinking about this this morning. Um, right now, markets are up for the year, right? So they were horrible. Like it was, it was you know, it completely fell apart. But when you look at a long-term chart, you know, five years from now, this will literally have been a blip. It will have dipped and, and come back. We've had now, we've now had the fastest, you know, what is it, 40 something percent gain in the S&P in, in, in history. It's, it, it's come back so quickly. And usually this kind of recoveries take a couple of years, right? But this took, you know, less than a hundred days. So, so what do you do with that? Like, what's the advice around that? Well, there's uh there are three sort of, Golden rule, always on pieces of advice uh, when, I work with, when we're working with people. And the first is, you know, plan appropriate asset allocation. So if, if you were in a plan appropriate portfolio, an asset allocation that reflected your plan and reflected your tolerance of risk and reflected your capacity for risk, then when the markets went down 30% in 20 days, that's, that happens like that. We expect that. So if you were in a plan appropriate portfolio, you rode that out. You didn't change a thing. You might have rebalanced, you know, and that's that's what we would have advised, and what's that's what we did in early in late March. But we did the rebalance, and now you know we're back to even, and we're actually ahead now. So um, that's the first thing is that plan appropriate. The second thing is always, 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 always broad diversification. Don't fall in love with anything. Um, don't fall in love with Apple here or Facebook or whatever they're talking about today, Bitcoin. You know, don't don't fall in love with these things. They're very attractive. They're always attractive at market highs. You know, that's when all the media attention goes to the thing that's doing really, really well. Um, and then everyone chases that thing. And then the third thing is, and this is always, this is an always behavior, regular rebalancing. And we're not talking on a, we're not talking because it goes up or down. We're talking about, you know, because it's January 1st and this is when you rebalance. Um, and by doing that and pursuing those three things, plan appropriate asset allocation, broad diversification and regular rebalancing, you actually pull ahead of most other investors. Now, in March, in March, there were some things to do um, when the market was down. It's not down anymore, right? It's already recovered. But in yeah. March, there were, there were four things that people, we talked about a lot. The first is, is we do some opportunistic rebalancing. And, and in March, I think it was March 23rd, we did, we did some opportunistic rebalancing. We sold, we sold some fixed income and we bought stocks you know, not, not at the bottom. I'm, I'm never perfect with that, but when it goes down 20%, we do a rebalance. Second thing is we did tax loss harvesting, right? So we want to, we want to set up, set ourselves up to pay lower tax over time. So when we get the opportunity, we harvest some losses to, to pair against future gains. Sometimes if you're quick about it, you had to be really quick about it in March, you might do a Roth conversion. Um, that's a really good way to take advantage of a, of a declining market. And then right now, the only thing that still exists in this whole system of things that you do when markets are volatile is markets get volatile 
And then the Fed pumps a bunch of money into things and rates go down, 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 down. And so you refinance as much debt as you can. And that right now, that's the number one thing you can do. You can save hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars a month by refinancing old debt, whether it's on a rental property, if you got a car that you borrowed, if it's on your house, uh, you know, it, whatever the thing you're borrowing for, uh, look at refinancing that debt right now. Yeah, I, I think that's a fantastic idea. What, what that, that to me is something that everybody can do. It's it's not that complicated. And what a great, uh, great use of that. I love that. Uh, absolutely correct. And matter of fact, I was reading an article. I can't remember on what, but two major brokerage houses are now coming out with a 2% mortgage. All right. I, my mortgage, I, I refinanced, the last time I refinanced was 2017, and I got a 2.65% 15-year mortgage. And wow. I'm talking to my mortgage broker right now, and she's saying, she said last week, Jonathan, we can get you 2.125, but I think if we wait a week, we'll get we'll get two on a 15, 15 year mortgage. And I'm just like, you know what, let's get let's get sub two. I'm going for 1.97. I'm going for just under two. Okay. For dragging rights. <laughs> which is which is greedy and stupid. Don't do that. Like, if, if you, want to try, you know, refinance now. All right. So I want to ask you this, because something that you brought up a little while ago. And so I want to ask you, what do you mean by goal focused and plan driven? Talk about this. So the, the problem with investing in our culture is that we are we're, we are market focused and performance driven. It's a problem because neither the market nor performance can ever be predicted or managed in any way. Nobody has any idea what future relative performance is going to be. There's a lot of research that tells us that um, many, 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 many people try to do this, but most of them fail. So those few who succeed are lucky, not skillful. So there's a better way. And we refer to that way as goal-focused and planning-driven. The, the first step really in a goal-focused planning-driven process is to understand your values and the trade-offs you're willing to make or need to make so that the priorities in your financial life can become your future reality. So this is a fancy way of saying you got to do some financial planning, right? You got to plan for your future. If you do not plan, then you will buy the thing and that purchase of the thing will be money that you could have saved to send your kids to college or use as a retirement income, right? So by having a plan, you know, you know what your goals are. You can focus on your goals over these other things that may not make you happy, that may not bring you fulfillment, that may not, you know, be things that you're committed to for your life or for your kids or for your family. So the goal is always better investment outcomes. And the path to that is the path to better investment outcomes is usually starts with knowing what you're saving for. So you can put more to work. And so, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of, of, of goal focused and planning driven is nobody can predict. So we have to plan and we just have to commit a percentage to equities and just hold that rebalance occasionally. We're not trying to outguess things. The thing we get into is we're always predicting like the, you just brought this up, right? You know, with with all the all the stuff the Fed's doing, I feel like the market should be down. That's a prediction. Like the market is is reflecting everyone's predictions all the time. So right now, more people are predicting that the thing is going to go up from here. And you know, in March, you know, 
everyone took off. You know, all the analysts said, they threw their hands up. They're like, I don't know what earnings are going to be like in 2020, 2021. And I'm not even sure what they're going to be like in 2022. So they took off all their estimates. And in the last month, the estimates are all coming back. And the estimates are actually surprising. 2021, the estimates, again, there's no proof that this they're, that they're accurate, right? But the estimates are that 2021 is going to look, look a lot like 2019, right? So companies did what they're supposed to do in this kind of environment. And it's very difficult to, to manage a company in this environment, but they're managing the companies in this environment. So, you know, that doesn't change. They're always going to manage these companies. You have to kind of trust that that happens and just commit to equities and stick with that, stick with that commitment. That's right. emotional, not intellectual. You know what? And, and I like that. Well, and, and I'm a big believer that everything is emotional. Uh, even, you know, people who say, hey, I'm very logical. Well, yeah. you know, that, that's an emotion. You, you're logical. You know, you've, you've sat there and you've, go, you've gone through a process to weed out as much risk as possible. And so now you feel comfortable moving in or moving out or whatever, you know, whatever you make that decision. Uh, you know, I like what you said there about, again, having a plan and sticking to it. You know, what's interesting to me is I, several times I remember buying my first house and, and I've and I've seen this uh, with first time home buyers that when they're getting to getting ready to buy a house, they are very committed. And so they don't you know, they're paying down debt or they're not creating any more debt. Right. They're, everything's got to you know, you have that short window where everything's got to stay the same financially. Otherwise, it could ruin your chances of getting the mortgage. Right. Yep. And so they don't make any big expenditures. They're paying down debt. They're they're committed and sticking to that plan. Of course, now they get that the they get the the house, and now you know everything goes out the window because they've reached their goal. But that's kind of what it reminded me of listening to you is that we can do it. We all do it to to some extent. Maybe we start saving money for that new car, or again, as I mentioned, the house or the vacation, and so because we have this emotional commitment to reach this goal, we start saving and not being distracted by the next shiny object, yep. even when it's, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Black Friday and the sale, you know, the, the TV that you have your eyes on is like 50% off. You're not enticed by that because it's not, it's not gonna, what do you call it? Uh, it's not part of your plan. It doesn't distract you because you're so focused and committed and this is where I think a financial advisor is helpful because you're a coach and you can say, hey, Bert, based on what you and I've talked about, this is what you need to be doing. Or let's not make that investment or that purchase based on what we've talked about and what we have planned out. Yeah. And this is where I think that thing that we, we talked about having a coach that you trust or a financial advisor that you trust that you can bounce ideas off of and keep you on track. So, so my crusade is actually, it's not so much go find a financial advisor. It's have a financial plan because I, so we look at, and I don't know how many people meditate, but the reason the book is called Mindful Money is because I've meditated for 25 years. And I, and I actually think that, that what mindfulness gives us is it, it gives us a space between um, something happening in the world or uh, a desire happening in our heart for this thing, uh, you know, that's, you know, the shiny object um, and, and the decision that we're going to pursue that. So the space between the thing that happens and our pursuit is a chance to, if you're meditating, it's, it's, you, you get distracted and you bring yourself back to your breath, right? So if you have a financial plan, 
and you get distracted by something that's a financial cost right now, then you need to bring your mind back to the plan, right? The idea is you have an anchor point. And there are many, 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 many people that, that it's really easy to create a plan. I mean, if you go, if you go through the exercises at the end of the chapter, uh, every chapter in my book, at the end of the book, you have a plan. It's, it's rough. It's rudimentary. It's not all, it's not all integrated, but you have a plan of action. You have a plan. And if you have a plan, you know what you're supposed to do. Now, sometimes you don't, it's hard to do the thing you're supposed to do. Like we all know we're not supposed to have ice cream. We're not supposed to eat steak every night. Um, but you know, many of us do. And so when we, when we have too much ice cream or too much steak, our health goes down. We, there's a gap between what we know and what we do. And that's where that coach comes in. If, if you know that you're not the kind of person that can stick with your plan, then you've got to get a coach. You've got to get someone in there to help you to, to hold you accountable to your plan. But if you can, if you can stick to the plan, you don't need a coach. Um, the, and Vanguard did a study on this and Vanguard says, fully half the benefit an advisor provides is holding you accountable and keeping you on your plan. It's saying to you when, you know, that you get that there's this great deal on a boat. It's saying to you, Hey, the boat's not part of your plan. If you, you can have the boat, but then we have to, you know, we have to figure out what you have to give up in your plan to have the boat or the vacation home or the six month vacation or the, you know, whatever it is. Um, it's, it's a matter of understanding your trade-offs and sticking with those trade-offs. And if you don't, if you don't get pulled off the trade-offs that you've been willing to make, the things you've decided you don't need to be happy, if you if you're willing to you know pass on those things, then you get to have the things that'll make you happy. But if if every time something comes along that'd be a nice to have or neat, it's a want, then and you pursue it, you're going to lose the things you want to have. And you know the things that everybody, not everybody, but most people think about when they think about planning is they think about retirement income, they're thinking about maybe take care of their parents when their parents are older, if they haven't planned very well, they're thinking about their kids in college, they're thinking about lifestyle. So they're thinking about maybe a couple weeks vacation a year, um, maybe. Uh, and then they're thinking about, you know, if they're really good, if they're really lucky at the end of their life, they maybe will leave some kind of legacy for their kids or, you know, for their alma mater or church or, or whatever their things that are important to them. So there's, there's five main buckets that people really plan for. And then everything else becomes a, you know, it's a nice to have. And I don't, maybe there's a sixth thing, maybe there's a seventh thing that people would plan for. Um, but if, if you just buy stuff and you aren't thinking about the big picture, then the person you are today is the only person you're caring about. It's the only person you're taking care of. You're not, you're not thinking about the person you're going to be in 20 years and what they might want. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that, you know, would say, no, I just live for today, live for today, live for today. I hear that all the time. I'm a, you know, I'm a, uh, I spend a lot of time studying Buddhism. I, I understand now I get that. Right. But I, I, I get a lot of, I feel a lot better about my now knowing that I'm okay. And my kids are okay. And my wife's going to be okay. If something happens to me now, they're okay. Right. So I get a lot of oomph, uh, a lot of feeling of I fulfilled my responsibilities on the planet, knowing that I am saving for the future. I feel better now knowing that I, I'm setting aside for that next thing that might happen. Um, Absolutely. There is an incredible amount of peace yes. when you have those things taken care of. Totally. That's really, and that's what it's about. It's about creating contentment. Yes. Peace. I mean, your plan should start with your plan should start with your values. What's important to you. That's, 
that's the ground that's the grounding and then and then when it's you know when you when you when something's distracting you get the you know the the the, sh the squirrel or the shiny object whatever that thing is that pulls you away you go wait a second that's that's actually not important to me right i traded that off i don't have to think about that and it's it eases your sense of you know anxiety about everything to know oh i don't i don't have to pay attention to that this is, yeah. this is why meditation is so important because when you meditate that's that's the practice the practice is something rises in your brain and you let it go like when you do the bench press what are you doing you're practicing with those muscles you're strengthening those muscles you when you're meditating you're strengthening your i don't have to think about this muscles which right. is oh my god it's so calming absolutely absolutely you know and, and also we you know uh we when i say we uh society and, and this is going back to your 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 mindfulness your your meditation we get hung up on sometimes trying to make other people happy for example uh christmas is a big pressure cooker for a lot of people hanukkah is a big pressure cooker for a lot of people and you know the reality is especially if you have young kids uh you can go into debt trying to make the perfect Christmas and they're going to be excited for a millisecond. Yeah. And depending on how young your kids are, they may, they may enjoy playing with the boxes more than with the toys. Uh, but you know, I, I can't, I can, I can remember a few gifts that I've gotten for Christmas, but I want to say that except for maybe again, for a very select few presents that I've gotten for Christmas, most of them are gone. Yeah. And, and all the hard work that my wife and my kids took the time to get me this present, which is a, very grateful for. But my point being is sometimes we stress so much that we forget that some of the stuff isn't really that important. It's going to come and go. And at the end of the day, you know, your kids are going to be more grateful that they're not going to lose their house, that that even though mom and everybody is sad, they're, you know, at least financially, they're not going to be stressed. That's a no. huge, that's the best gift you can give anybody. So I was thinking about this the other day and, and I'm, I'm probably, I'm probably bucking a whole bunch of research on this topic. And I, and I, and I, I'm speaking out of school. I don't really know what I'm talking about, but I, I want to, this is the thought process I had. And, and then I'm going to tie it back to personal finance. So I've read probably 20, 30 articles about how bad this COVID, you know, don't go to school thing is for kids because it takes away their ability to do this and this and this and something. And, and I'm sure that's all true and accurate, but it's actually giving them something else. It's, it's giving them coping mechanisms. It's, it's, it's forcing them to figure out a way to manage emotions that no one should have to manage. Um, and, and so I, I say that, and I'm going to tie this back to that Christmas analogy you just, you just um, offered up because I mean, I grew up and our Christmases were, you know, I got a, I got a sleeve of um, Girl Scout cookies, uh, the, the Thin Mints. My brother got the other sleeve and I got, you know, socks and underwear and I got a toy. Uh, and that was, that was it. And so I didn't have these huge expectations, but I, I then I spoke to my friends and, and what they, and I was like, holy cow, you got, you got a computer and a bike and a, you know, a compound bow and you got, you, know, you got all these things. And I'm, I'm like, wow, what? So I wanted, I wanted, I wanted but I didn't get, and so I had to deal with not getting. Now my kids, my grand, my, my mom, their grandma is, let's say generous around, around the holidays. Uh, 
the, the, the toys and things. So we, we get them a few things and then grandma goes crazy. So they, they just have a, they have a smorgasbord of stuff that they get every holiday. And my wife and I go, what are, what are we teaching them? Like what? They don't, yeah, you know, and I, I just, I just don't think that giving people everything, I think it robs them of lessons. I think it robs them of other things that are equally valuable, probably more valuable long-term. So we make a big deal about, about um, we as a culture make a big deal about giving lots of things and, and, and making sure the kids have great, you know, holidays. And, and But I, I actually think the kids that struggle and don't get everything given to them, I think that they get a valuable life lesson. Um, and the thing I worry about with my own kids, you know, I was raised with very, very little. That drove me to actually, you know, do good in school and, and work really, really hard. And, and, and my kids are great, right? They're, they're very well adjusted. They're great. But they're given a lot. They, yeah. have, a, they have a lot more opportunity than I ever had. And, and do, they, do they take that for granted a little? Probably. probably. Sure. Yeah. They're supposed to. <laughs> I, well, you know but, what? I tell you, your your Christmas story reminds me of uh, of a family that uh, I saw on Oprah Winfrey uh, many many years ago, and so it was it was I believe it was five or six kids, and all they got for Christmas every year was like an apple, an orange, a few nuts, and uh, uh, and I think maybe if they were lucky, socks and underwear. That yeah. was their Christmas. Yeah. Now each of these kids, they were they were either uh, professors at an Ivy League school. Yep. They were lawyers, doctors, and they all had attended prestigious schools. Yep. So if you, re- you know, so, so possibly one of the lessons, and this is what you're trying to bring home, is that we get so much out of that struggle because if these five kids would have been given, as you know, like most of our kids are given so much, their motivation is killed. So maybe yep. we can you know, give our kids less and maybe they are become more uh, rounded and more uh, motivated. Maybe they get more stuff done. Yeah. It's, it's so difficult because that, that competition exists. You know, I, I have to, I'm in the middle of this process myself. So, you know, Kate, my wife and I, we talk and we're like, but you know, their friends all have this and that and this other thing. And, and they're, they're in a school where it's, you know, there's a, just, they're surrounded by, I mean, I'm in Berkeley, California, so there's there is a lot of money here in the Bay Area, yeah. and and there are I mean, people wash their cars every week. It's it, it blows my mind a little bit. I grew up in South Dakota. You wash your car once every four years, right? Um, and, and that's only if it's only if you can't see out the window. What you do is you just wipe out the back window. You don't have to wash it. Anyway, so that's that's a digression. Um, so the the kids and their peers, they they have everything. Yes. And and so then you know you don't want to be that cruel, mean parent. And that's what they tell you. Dad, you're so mean. And you're like, but that's about you. You know, that's not about them. And so how do you make it better for them? You know, don't give them so much. Don't give them so much. It's such a hard thing. Give them an iPhone that's two years old. We made them, we actually made them buy their own iPhone. That's what we did. (laughs) We we did too. So, uh, you know, my wife and I, we bought them these cheapy phones from Walmart. And we, so our last, our, our, we have two young kids. They're, they were 15 at the time when we did this. Uh, they're twins. And there's, you know, they came back and say, we're the only people that don't have iPhones. Yep. You know, I said, honey, 
th that's rough. You have a phone, you can text and you can call. That's all we need you to do. But I have to hit three, three times to get a C in my text. It takes me forever to respond. <laughs> well, so, but each of them bought their own iPhones. Yeah. yeah. And they had to save for that money. And the best part is because there were 15, luckily a, a friend of ours has a dog grooming shop and she hired them on the weekends. And this is nasty work yep. for girls, for anybody to do much less girls, but, but they learned so much from that. They saved their money. They learned a new skill and they were covered with hair and pee and sometimes poop. Oh. And it was, it's just a blessing because most people don't get to experience that every day. Yeah. So we're, we are, there are areas where we're pretty lax and there's other areas where we're very strict, but my, my, both my son and my daughter started working when they were, I think, I think Eli started working when he was 12. Um, and he just, so we have a neighborhood pool. Someone's got to sweep the pool and take out the garbage and, clean things up and those kinds of things. And so they both did that job. And now nice. he's gone on, he's 15, he's gone on to, um, he's working at a deli. And so he's, you know, he's busting tables and, and he's he's working in, in this period. And that was a big, you know, we had a big question. If that made a lot of sense, there's a, that's a risk factor having to go out in the world and people, you know, he's handing people food and what if they sneeze and what if they have COVID and there's all these, all these kinds of things. But it's such a huge lesson and yeah. earning money and he's saving and he's, you know, he's almost 16, California, you can drive when you're 16. So he's thinking about, I want to, I want to get a car, which is, you know, having that goal that he has and making him work for it is, you know, I think, I think there's something, there's something really important about having a goal and working for it. It works for 15 year olds. I think it works for 40 year olds, 50 year olds. I think, you know, if you get to 50, you haven't saved enough, boy, you start thinking about retirement, people start saving a lot if they haven't yeah. saved by the time they're 50. Absolutely. Hey, we're out of time, Jonathan. It's been a blast having you on the show. I want to I want to uh, plug the book one more time. Uh, it's uh, Mindful Money, Simple Practices for Reaching Your Financial Goals and Increasing Your Happiness Dividend. I love that. Increasing Your Happiness Dividend. Available at mindful.money. Mindful.money is the website or Amazon. You can check it out there. Jonathan, looking forward to having you back again, my friend. Thanks, Bert. This has been great. Absolutely.